Welcome to the Center for Internet Security's podcast, Cybersecurity Where You Are. Cybersecurity affects us all, whether we are at home, managing a company, supporting clients, or even running a state or local government. Join CIS's Sean Atkinson and Tony Sager as they discuss trends and threats, ways to implement controls and infrastructure, explore best practices, and interview experts in the industry. We are here to bring clarity to these complex issues to bring confidence in the connected world. Okay, welcome back to the podcast from the Center for Internet Security, Cybersecurity Where You Are, where we take on interesting topics of the day and talk a little bit about the things that um, are on the minds of lots of not only cybersecurity professionals, but for the public at large. So our goal is both inform and entertain in a way that doesn't overwhelm you with the acronyms or confuse you with the, uh, as we say it here, the uh, fog of more. So we're uh, joined again this week by my uh, co-host, Sean Atkinson. Hello, Sean. Hi, Tony. And for this episode, we're welcoming a special guest, our friend and colleague, Chris Cronin. Welcome, Chris. It's good to be with you guys. Uh, it's it's fun to be a, a, able to actually speak with you directly instead of being just someone who's listening on the podcast who says, oh, but there's another thing to consider, but this time you can actually hear me. So I'm happy to be with you. Uh, well, we are thrilled to take your real-time feedback on the conversation, Chris, and that'll be great. <laughs> yeah. So so Chris uh, is... Um, you know, it's been our, a go-to colleague of our work at CIS around the whole business of risk, uh, executive decision-making, uh, reasonableness as discussed in the law and in regulation. And so we'll uh, continue some of the themes that have come up in earlier episodes. Uh, Chris, could you share with the audience a little bit about your background and where you come from on this? Yeah. Uh, so uh, I think probably because I've been doing information security, cybersecurity, IT stuff for a long time, and probably like a lot of people at, at this stage in my career that we started out not doing a lot of technical stuff. Uh, I, 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 I always worked in computers either as a, as, a, as a hobby or to work my way through school. So I'm all but doctored. I think we talked about this, Tony, all but doctored in American legal history. So I'm a historian by training with my subject matter being uh, uh, law and how the law works. Uh, but but uh, when it came time to choose what my actual career would be, I, I always found the, the computer operations work much more interesting. Uh, then worked for another, uh, worked for a, a bunch of companies over time that always had some kind of need to show conformance to some kind of standard, uh, ISO 9001 um, and, uh, you know, CE mark and things like this. So helping companies figure out how to how to manage their technologies in a way that matched some kind of requirement was always a challenge. When when cybersecurity came around, then all those skills at, at becoming certified with information systems just came into play. But it probably looks like like a lot of people at 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 my age who are here we came through some other vector of of work and had to find our way through. So that's that's basically who I am. Yeah, it, I never re really uh, remembered you discussing that before, but sort of growing up in that fashion. But I, but I think that is right. You know, when I look around at, at the sort of generationally, right, most of us did not come up through sort of classical computer security or computer programs, and I think that also contributes to a richness of thinking and diversity about that. So. You know, I'm not sure we need a nation full of cybersecurity certified professionals, but maybe thinkers about risk and about decision making. So, um, yes, I appreciate right. that. And let, so take, let's go back in time, Chris, to when we first met. Now, how, I remember our first meeting, but I don't remember how the connection was made. Oh, yeah. 
and that that and that was a great meeting. I, I uh, but um, the uh, the I'll 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 say real quick that that Haylock had been using what we now call duty of care risk analysis. We didn't have a name for it at the time, because frankly, we were very naive. Uh, we thought that everybody was doing cybersecurity risk analysis the way we were doing it. Uh, because we would read, our clients would come, so Haylock Security Labs is where I'm, I'm, I'm a partner, that's my day job, right? And, and clients would come to us and they'd say, we have to be HIPAA certified, or we have to be uh, ISO 27001 certified. And we would struggle to help them understand really what the path was. And so what we would have to do is go into the regulations and we would see, while everyone has to demonstrate reasonableness, every regulation was using the word reasonable. So I went back to my legal history background and said, well, let's figure out what this word reasonable means. It keeps showing up in the law. And we would talk to litigators, regulators, um, legislators who would write bills that had the word regulation or regu uh, reasonable in them. And nobody, nobody knew. Like they were all using this word and nobody knew where it came from. So uh, uh, up comes the, the, the uh, academic training and we do the research and we say, oh, here's what lawyers mean about reasonable. You have to do this balancing test. You have to look at likelihood and probability, I'm sorry, likelihood and, and impact and put some kind of safeguard in place that's commensurate with the risk. Everybody knows this because when you look at ISA 27005 or NIST 800-30, they all did this. So we were sort of naive. We're, 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 we're helping clients do risk analysis the way we think the lawyers are going to be interested because they're the ones who wrote these standards. Okay, got it. So, no, we're doing this, but then some of our clients get in trouble because they've had a breach or they've got some other kind of regulatory oversight and the regulators are saying, explain yourself. And they would show the regulators a risk analysis and the, the regulators would say, yeah, that makes sense. That's what reasonable is. After a while, we started to realize that we were the only people who were doing risk analysis this way. <laughs> so... Uh, but it was really helping. So we thought, well, this is good, but we're a small firm out, out in near Chicago. We've, we actually have to figure out a way to build a standard. So who would we do this with? And when you look at different standards bodies and, or, or, or guidance bodies, CIS stood out because you're very collaborative with the community. You bring people in and you find a way to get ideas that are working and turn them into guidance for the public. Um, not to disparage anyone else, but 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 CIS is, is is keenly good at this, right? This is a real this is your mission. So uh, we reached out to the team. You were developing uh, CIS Control 7.0 at the time. It was in draft, and there was a there was a public outreach for comment uh, among the community. What, what what do you say about the draft? And I said, I'll tell you what I <laughs> what I'd like to do is is build some kind of risk analysis method. Uh, and, and then that at the time, you might remember where we met. We met at the law offices of Hogan Lovells, right, uh, in, in Maryland. And uh, because we were working very strongly with their attorneys there who were showing in, in practice that the, the risk analysis method was working. So we said, let's let's get a meeting of the minds and say, I think we've got a legitimate approach here. Uh, we reached out to you folks. You were able to take the time to meet with us. It was a leap of faith because I'm sure you hear a lot of ideas. <laughs> uh, and, and in that room, there was there was just immediate kinship. We all understood each other, the attorney and you, Tony, and, and myself, because we understood there was a common cause and there was a big problem that we could solve. And, and that, that's, that's basically the road to you.
Well, that was a real eye-opener for me, Chris, because I've been grappling with this, um, I'll call it the linkage between technology and public policy. Yeah. You yeah. Know, how, how do we, you know, much to my chagrin as a lifer in the technology and vulnerability analysis, right? You know, people yeah. are really impressed by the wizardry of red teams and finding zero days, but they don't actually yeah, take yeah. action based upon that. Well, people oh, are driven by other things, in particular, yeah. when you when you think of the decision making, where do I put resources, what gets reported to the boss, right. Right? it's much more about this executive level or a, a corporate level risk and, and the things that you brought to us. So, yeah, that meeting, mm -hmm. as I recall, very nice spaces, by the way, uh, but it was yeah, an immediate yeah, yeah. like yeah. hit, you know, to, from my perspective, that is, we were right in sync and you really open possibilities that I was sort of vaguely thinking about, but had no way to do anything with. And it was, yeah. you know, that, that's the story of a, my career. You know, great, great people walk into my life with, I mean, I just have to look for it. And so that, that connection that became CIS RAM, that be, and, and I really applaud the, um, I'll call it progressive that you showed, right? The, 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 we had developed something, it was your perspective. Right. And we could make a case for it one by one. But for the greater good, it would make more sense to have it in the hands of something that had a broad reach across the community. And in fact, it's actually more powerful because it gives a certain independence, right? It's not a proprietary activity. It's really something that That's is right. um, uh, much more broadly supported and therefore easier to make a case for. You know, the story of the controls, you know, the, just a quick summary, NSA origin, uh, got hold uh, was grabbed up by the Sands Institute and run as yeah. a community service project, but because it was associated with a for-profit company, you were inherently bounded by the the view of, for example, government lawyers, you know, adopting it into a into a larger framework. So mm -hmm. that was the reason for spinning it out into nonprofit is to both build mm -hmm. this collaborative army, but also provide a independent and yeah. be able to operate across the industry. Collaboratively, not uh, independently of, but collaboratively with. So, so Sean, you sort of live and breathe this, right? This is your life about the um, how do I pull together the technical things, the work that you do with the the, um, the technologists that that you know we are a computing enterprise at CIS in addition to being a security company, and we are particularly tuned into the security issues. But at the end of the day, you you have to deal with the board. You're looking at regulators and oversight and so tell me about your perspective here and the 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 role of say broadly about the decision making and how you interact between the two the technology and the and the policy. Sure, yeah, I mean it's um one it's trying to keep up uh, again as you mentioned, you know, what's the flavor of this vulnerability this week uh, and how does that impact our overall organization? Uh very important to understand from a technical capability. So there's an input to the process of risk management from from that perspective but then there's also the uh, dissemination of that information across multiple uh, communication channels uh, in terms of the recipient and how they receive such information uh, and one of the things um, that I that wasn't conceptualized to me at, at first um, and which was very powerful as, as a message coming out of uh, sysram version 1 was an element of burden cost. I'd never conceptualized it before. I'd always thought, and this is just me learning, you know, in this position, I think there's always something to learn about risk. 
Uh, and again, even with uh, Cicerem version 2.1, it is teaching me new things, which is great. That That's the whole point of improving and getting to a mature capability. But one of the things I didn't conceptualize, so I'd done, you know, we had impact, probability, fantastic. You know, we've got an alignment. One of the things I didn't consider uh, and which needed to be communicated from a financial and a process perspective was the burden of risk mitigation strategy implementing information security controls. And doing that opened up a whole new avenue of perspective. And it also took into account the financial responsibility of the implementation of those costs, as well as then said for not just paying for a control, but how that control affects a business process. Being able to do that uh, opened up new doors for me in a new world of risk realization. Uh, and I, I'm not sure uh, that a lot have kind of taken those lessons and adapted. Uh, and so that's where I see, uh, again, from CISRAM being able to lay that foundation to CISRAM 2.1 for me to build on that foundation, uh, I think is incredibly powerful. Uh, Chris, what do you think? Does that uh, is, Have you seen similar reactions over time to uh, CISRAM and, and these realizations? Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it's, it, I'm, I'm, I'm happy you caught that, Sean, because when, when we talk about the law stuff, the, the law has everything to do with the origin of the word reasonable. And the word reasonable is so common in the regulations and standards that we're using that we need a definition so we can, we can make a good case that we're headed toward the right thing, right? But, but, the, but the first purpose of doing this analysis to begin with was to make sure that, that cybersecurity made sense to the business before we even talked to the attorneys. So it just so happened that we saw the attorneys go, oh yeah, yeah, this is a good application of this, hot dog. But the, the reason, I'd done operations. Remember when I was working in, in, uh, on my degrees, my academic path, I was working in, working in IT. And so I had all the experience of exactly what you're just saying, Sean, the disruption of, of, of security controls to business. So one of my first, my earliest memories of this uh, has to do with uh, BlackBerry phones. We had executives at the firm I was with who did not want to put passcodes on their BlackBerry phones because it was tremendously burdensome to type in four digits to use their phone. Go back in time and you'll remember how this was this. Are you crazy? You know, I have to be responsive to my clients. How could I take the time to put in four digits of the phone? And the, there was this beautiful irony where the loudest voice saying, no, I won't put four digit protection on my BlackBerry left his phone in a cab on a business trip and someone picked up that phone and said oh let's really muck with this guy's business life and started sending vicious emails to his clients that were there on the contact list really rude stuff and he became the most vocal person saying we have to protect the business we need four digit codes on our phones it was so beautiful because at the time when he said no 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 i couldn't possibly do such a thing he was saying the burden of putting the four digits in the phone is too much. Now, by my nature, I am an optimistic person. And when I see that there is um, disagreement about something, I think, well, we can find the common ground and come to agreement, right? This is just the way I think about stuff. So I want to understand what does he really mean? Because he doesn't mean that this this four digit code is a problem. What does he really mean? Well, he really meant I don't have access to the things that make me successful and connect with people. So I had to be sure that anyone else who heard that story from him 
I knew there was still going to be resistance. So I had to couch what they were saying in terms of how this would protect their clients, would protect their business for the very small price of a four digit code. At very early lesson, before I was thinking of myself as a cybersecurity person, I was just trying to make sure that the systems I was handing out to people and managing were doing what, the right thing, right? So immediately, once you see where the resistance comes from, it's a legitimate business purpose. You need to be sure that your security controls satisfy a legitimate business purpose. But you also have to be sure that the one time that you're going to set the rule once and stick to that rule. So having a standard risk assessment criteria, which is what CISRM shows, make sure that everyone stated in their agreement up front, we know this is what we're trying to protect. Great. Every decision we make from here on out is going to be respectful for that set of parameters that we all agreed on. And, and, and this is where the ideas of mission, objectives, and obligations comes from. Our mission is the good we're here to provide. You, you need to be responsive to your customers. Our objectives, we need to preserve the business. We don't want to lose the business if, uh, if a prankster <laughs> abuses our BlackBerry, right? Our obligations, we have to be sure that the people whose information we have is protected. Uh, because they can be hurt. And this has been really crucial, this last item. Um, when we first started to tell people, you're going to have to manage your security and what your interests are and the potential harm you could do other people, there was real concern. Like, no business. Can you believe this? There's this uh, Milton Friedman mindset. The, the only person you're obligated to satisfy are the uh, stakeholders. And we, people were afraid that if we went into a company and said, no, you're going to treat your customers as equal stakeholders to yourself. Well, Halock's done more than 200 of these risk assessments ourselves. So we, get, we get this intimate knowledge of how this works. Only on two occasions has a company ever questioned the need to take care of their customers as much as they take care of themselves. So th th there's a tremendous, what, what this tells us is people want to do the ethical right thing, but they want to know that they balance their business uh, burdens against something that matters like customer interest and that all of these three things are equally served. So that, this was, th you're exactly right, Sean. This started out as a business question and we started to realize something. So the optimist in me is very well served when regulators would say, yeah, that's right. We go, holy cow, the regulators and the business executives and the cybersecurity people agree. <laughs> this is fantastic. So that's, that's yeah, you, you, you've gotten to the heart of what we're doing there. Yeah, and it's a, it's a very clever, I'll say it's both a reframing, but, but presenting the holistic picture of this, right? The context of the role that cyber plays in the mission, right? In the service to the customers, in the obligations that you have. And, yeah. And I had the same impression as Sean. That was like a, a jump out one to me. And it, sound, it sounds so silly now, but, you know, looking at the cost issues, the cost burden. And uh, the way I described it, you know, I grew up in the traditional model when the, when the uh, business owner or the mission, mission uh, agency head asked the security guy, how much should I spend on security? There's, there's one answer that I was trained to give more right it's more yeah. whatever right you were probably right and you were probably yeah, right in, in total probably right, right in, in aggregate in the tech probably right in aggregate yeah <laughs> but, but the uh but the notion of well you know bankrupting my business in the name of better security isn't really very clever either so maybe right. i should be putting right. this in a context right you know kind of the culture part of this right reframing the role of the security guy is to say no, right? That's the sort of standard um, mm, yeah. culture that you would think of, or the gatekeeper, right? You're, I'm the keeper of goodness, and 
you know, you obey or you don't, you conform or you don't, mm -hmm. uh, is is exactly the wrong way to think of this problem, right? Then it becomes then you then you, then you hear security people say, irritating hey. phrases is this, and then people still say this stupid user tricks, you know, people, oh. <laughs> the and uh, we can stop stupid, right? That's the title of a, of a fairly recent book. Uh, mm. You know, if that's your view then of, of course you're not serving the, the company or the customer or anybody, right? You're, you're the gatekeeper. Right. You're the, you know, you, you believe that you're supposed to be the conscience there. And that's really yeah. an unhealthy way to think because it skews the whole relationship. And then I said, I always said, if you make um, uh, security too expensive or burdensome, your primary attackers become the, your users or your mm -hmm. users become your primary attackers. I'm sorry. They, and remember when Dropbox became a verb or thumb drive became... Oh, mm -hmm. you know, I have to hold the gate line on everything. Okay, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna thumb drive around the perimeter, you know, because mm -hmm. and, and yeah. people. Why do people do that? Why do adopt the users in an enterprise do that, Sean? Evil? No, it's because they believe they have a job to do, right? They have large files back and forth to the photography studio, for example, for processing yeah. and back. And you know, yeah. you either find a way to empower them to meet that business need, or I guarantee yeah. they will do something worse. And that's what you're trying to get to, right, with, with CIS RAM. It's exactly. a holistic picture of it to say exactly. this is not about you know, holding the line. It's about empowering the business in a yeah. knowing, prudent way. Yeah. And Same notion. Go ahead, Chris. Yeah, the, 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 the data backs you up. So we're, we're in the process of releasing the last module for CIS RAM 2.0, right? We've got three modules for IG1, IG2, and IG3, so we're... We're in the process of, of finalizing IG3 for really soon. But what we did with CIS RAM 2.0, I'm very, very proud of this. And a lot of this came from, from prodding uh, uh, from uh, Kurt Dukes and Phyllis Lee, who are just wonderful colleagues to work with in the CIS family. And they pushed us after CIS RAM 1 came out and said, we need to, we need to make this simpler because we, we remember that CIS RAM 1, it's a, it's a very large book. And, and it, it's made for three different levels of organizations. But it, it, And we didn't realize how uh, impenetrable that still would be for people. So on, 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 on coaching and, and prompting and prodding from, from Kurt and Phyllis, we found a way to automate more of the risk analysis based on data. And you just said something, Tony, that really got me. When we started to look at the Veris community database, we, we poured in detail. Uh, we've got right down to the data. So when it when when the when the virus community says, "Hey, go straight to the data," that's what we do. We go right into the data rather than the graphics. And we found that there were some really interesting patterns. And one of them was exactly what you just said. There's a distinction made between personnel error and personnel misuse. And 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 right now we we put that data from the virus community database into CISRAM 2.0 to help users do an automatic likelihood of a risk calculation that they don't even, don't even have to think it through because the various data is saying, look, this is how common this problem is. And it distinguishes between the errors people make when they're just trying to do their work and the things that insiders do when they're misbehaving. Because you think about controls differently, but you think about uh, management oversight differently as well. And, and when you think about what happens when people are just trying to get their jobs done, you, you, you're, you're saying, I have to figure out a way to help them work safely just like in any other work environment, 
right? And so the, the data is there and, and we've been able to bake that exact thing you said right into the data for CIS RAM 2.0. I'm, that, that's something I'm very proud of and it comes everything to do with, <laughs> with Phyllis and Kurt saying, you know, simplify this. <laughs> well, I think that that is right. And, you know, again, another part of the big idea is inconsistent. As you know, uh, Chris, we've been on a path uh, to bring more, well, we usually call it dirt, <laughs> uh, data, rigor, and transparency mm, to the way right. we make control recommendations. Yeah. And um, I never said it publicly, but I'll, I'll share that with you. Uh, because, you know, we <laughs> grew up in a business <laughs> of wizardry, right? That That's mm -hmm. the model that I grew up in. Right. And you've heard my, yeah, my, yeah. my saying, right? Wizardry is actually better for job security than it is for driving public policy, you right, know, because right. wizardry doesn't scale right. to other people. But right. if you treat the business like then your only defense is to hire more wizards, which is really not a, not a good move. Right. Mm -hmm. The data that we have, I mean, that's what mm -hmm. makes me as, you know, as no here in the 70s and 80s, we spent all our time postulating about what bad guys would do you know, daydreaming scenarios. And, sure. Well, guess what? We get all that for free every minute of every day, right, Sean? I mean, that's our life. I said, I, I call this, man, what a wonderful teaching moment. We're getting attacked every minute of every day. And so mm -hmm. we dream about scenarios. We, we live them. The, the challenge, though, is not just the gathering of that. It's the translation into action. Yeah. You know, translate is the verb that matters. And you just gave a great example, right? Translating... The data that's already been collected, my gosh, and given away for free. Yeah. Much to yes, my surprise. Thank you, thank you yes. Verizon. Right. Wow. And now you can say, well, why should every user try to figure out the probability of this type of occurrence when, in fact, we could derive it and build it into the decision making machinery? Right. Yeah. And, you know, not every uh, company on earth has a Sean, right? We're a security company. So we're like stocked with lots of expertise in here. But, uh, but even, and I'll, I'll, I'll uh, venture, Sean, that even you up with all the things that are going on in this business, right? The, the technology issues, the, the, um, the, the hack of the month. The, the, I mean, it is astounding how much and mm -hmm. um, what a struggle it is to keep, therefore, things that can, can rationally built under the hood, right? For that are based on data that have a, and this transparency is a big one. Because that's where that's where you were aiming at originally, Chris. Right? It's not good yeah. enough to do the right thing. You have to explain that you've done the right thing yeah. to the lawyer, to the regulator, to the judge, to the yeah. chain partner, to the you know whoever's looking over your shoulder. And so mm -hmm. by by pulling all that together, I think that's what is, is really will will look back as as uh, one of the many contributions you've made, which is this. You know, it's not it's not about just making the decision. It's about managing it. It's about explaining it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I, I was just at a I was just at a, a conference, uh, the RIMS conference. Uh, it's a risk management conference, mostly, you know, in insurance carriers who are there. And I, I did this presentation first time I did it because, you know, I, I act as an expert witness with, with regulators and litigators to help them determine whether there was reasonableness at, at an organization. Right. And you can figure out what the test is. Right. It's, it's one that you've got in, in CIS RIM. But um uh, but the, uh, the, the talk I'm doing comes from a conversation that I had with regulators who were in this wizard kind of conversation. And I said, no, no, it, it's, it's less about the, 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 the techniques of, of, of people who are focused on attacking and defending. It has, a, it has a lot to do with what management decided to do and why. 
And let me explain why. So in, 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 this, in this talk, I show a pie chart. There are two slices of pie. One is a third the size of the pie and the other is two thirds the size of the pie. And I say, look, this is data from the insurance industry. It comes from a publication called the Net Diligence Data Breach Claims Report. It comes out every year. And what they do is they say, what are the insurance carriers showing us as causes of breaches and then the sizes of payouts and stuff? And the two sections of the pie, the smallest portion comes from immediate response costs. So the forensics, the response, the uh, consumer protection services, that's the, that, that, that contributes about a third of the claims breach costs, right? Breach claims costs. The two thirds portion is liability. Now, what's liability? It's lawyer costs. <laughs> it's the costs of the negotiations with regulators and with litigators on action. So, and, and a regulator will say, hey, you said you had reasonable security controls, but you didn't, and we're going to come after you. And it's the plaintiffs who say, we've got a class action against you because you didn't have the controls you said you had in place. They were ineffective. Two thirds of the breach claims costs come from lawyers. Right. So now if you're an economist, this is what you call a market inefficiency, right? If you're an optimist, you say, these are people who have not found common ground. <laughs> if you're a, now, if, if you're an attorney and a cybersecurity person, you say, uh, we can fix this if we get people to agree on the word reasonable. And uh, but but what does that mean? It means I'm not going to have a conversation about how DMARC works in a phishing scheme. I'm not going to have a conversation with people about why TLS 1.1 versus TLS 1.2 uh, may or may not be reasonable in a certain circumstance. That's the wizardry stuff that will make the lawyers, the regulators, the judges frustrated. It drives liability up because the costs go higher, right? It's this disagreement. Now, what if we just say, well, I've got a way to talk about reasonableness that has nothing to do with DMARC, nothing to do with multi-factor authentication, nothing to do with these things. It has to do with whether the organization said, whatever decision we make has to include both us and the people we could hurt. And every decision we make will ask, would this be okay with them and us? Are we both okay if we take this path? If you can demonstrate that enough, then when a regulator or a litigator post-breach looks at your assessment, they say, I can't compete with that. There's no better definition of reasonable than what you demonstrated and they walk away. Now, again, the economist says, you just wiped away two thirds of breach costs just by the way you were planning your risk management program. Again, having nothing to do with whether a key management program was appropriate or not for the environment. It just had to do with the fact that management had a way to think through what was right or wrong. Now, knowing that we have this huge inefficiency problem, costs are so high, insurers can't provide good coverage to, to their policyholders. I mean, you're seeing this then we desperately need to do exactly what you just said. Find a way to get the executives, the business, to talk about cybersecurity in ways that matter to the business, but to take into consideration the, 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 the welfare of the public, the care of the public. And then and regulators have already written into their rules. They'll pay attention to that when they see it. So that's that's the big goal. It's big, but I but I think we've got the right team for it. Yeah, I think that, that is true. And that, 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 that number is just eye-popping and yeah, uh, yeah, and it helps you think about it. I think very strategically that way. It also, um, you know, it strikes me you're doing something that when I talk about uh, the community defense model, you know, it's a, which is a parallel activity around um, yeah. sort of, um, getting past 
wizardry of, you know, did you do enough to say, what are our attackers doing? And abstracting that into a model against which we can establish the technical security value of individual recommendations, right? That's kind of the, mm-hmm. the notion there. But, you, you know, what, what people sometimes miss, I explained to them, this is not about eliminating a judgment or decision-making. It's about mm-hmm. bounding mm-hmm. it. That's right. It's making mm-hmm. it clear where mm-hmm. the decision is being made, what are the factors in that decision. And it's not about this sort of nebulous, you know, did you do enough to defend yourself and were you reasonable? It's about, you know, did you have a plan mm-hmm. that accounted mm-hmm. for those factors you just mentioned, right? The, yeah. The, uh, yeah. the customers, the business and so forth. So, all right. So let's yeah. go here. I'm going to throw one at you from left field, Chris. So you now <laughs> have all in the conversation here, the CISO for the Center for Internet Security. And you're in your opening conversation with Sean, and you're just trying to get a sense for how reasonable is our security program? What would be some of the questions? And just, I'm going to turn you loose on Sean here because, (laughs) uh, and and beyond, you know, are you using CIS? What would you ask a CISO when you come in as you're trying to understand the situation and what they have done and how you would both uh, organize and also uh, represent? Yeah, this this is this is so great. So you know, part of the talk I was just telling you about that I did, I said, I, I'm going to give you a definition for reasonable that is so concise and that is so good, you will win any argument you have with a lawyer, a regulator, or a judge. That's pretty bold, right? So I'm going to ask you those questions. I'm going to see how they work. Okay, so uh, do you use safeguards that are no more burdensome to you than the risk is to others? Hmm. Yes. Great. And how can you demonstrate that? Damn. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's tricky, right? It is but, tricky. Uh, yeah, but yes. but but that, that that's that's the first question, and and then then the next question is, uh, when the non-technical executives, I mean, people who don't have technical responsibilities, so they're not seeing stuff off the wire. They're not consuming the audit reports and the pen test results. They're not applying benchmarks, right? Do your non-technical executives have the information they need to make a good informed decision? Yes. So those are obviously um, with that information reported through um, elements of our risk management program. And that's great. Now, now here, here's here's why I'm posing those two exact questions. So when I, so now I'm going to go back to the insurance carriers. Uh, th- this is a great litmus test of where we are in cybersecurity risk management because that's what insurers are really, really well equipped to do: engineer risk, right? Put everyone into a policy and then get them focused on reducing risk. So they reduce their policies, and and the portfolio risk for the insurance company goes down. So I'm focused on this. I tell the brokers, like the broker insurance brokers right now, when they're talking to these CISOs guys, that what they're doing is they're saying, I need you to answer these questions. And the more yeses I get in your responses, the lower your premium is. So do you have multi-factor authentication? Do you have a CISO? Do you make sure your third-party vendors are secure? <laughs> and you know there are all sorts of exceptions. Any, you give me a yes, there are all sorts of exceptions to any of these yeses, right? But they're asking all those questions. That, keep in mind, that represents like that third 
of that pie chart of, of where the breach costs come from. And I tell them, no, no, ask the two questions that I just asked Sean. And, and, and you want to know, can you demonstrate that your that the burdens of your risk analysis, the burdens of your risk management program are no greater than uh, than the risk you pose to others? You're going to have to show why you believe that's true. And CIS RAM gives you the mechanism to do that. Right. And then the second question, do your non-technical executives know, uh, can they make an, uh, an informed decision means you found a way to take. Uh, cybersecurity realities, configurations, pen test results, etc., and put it into a formula that they can they can say this is a good investment. That's not a good investment. This is a good priority. That's not a good priority. Yes, you need more resources in this area. That's the kind of level that an executive should be able to make, right? But it means we have to go through a layer of translation, and that's what the CIS RAM is doing. So if I ask those two questions, most of my organizations say I need your help with that in both cases. And then we start to drill down and we say, okay, let's let's figure out how to accomplish. So Chris, that's where we see the element of transparency. So that's the translation. This is now building a Rosetta Stone. And that's really what I'm looking at with the, the SysRAM is being able to create that communication channel. So when I'm going through looking at the safeguards, where's the burden? And that's why I say, you know, where I paused, because when I've done the calculations of I'm am I implementing security controls, there is some burden that comes with those as well. So there are ones, yes, you know, implement them, the transparent, you know, we'll, we'll call that the wizardry. And then there's others where, yeah, there is a, a single sign on. You do need to enter the, the, uh, the, the pin as it were into uh, accessing particular systems. But then I measure that level of burden. Is this going to impact the business in terms of making decisions timely, looking at the velocity and the veracity of those particular controls? And that also takes into a conceptualization, and I think where Tony had mentioned earlier about the community defense model is also being threat informed in terms of these elements as well is quite important too. So I'm looking at different elements coming into um, making sure that my SysRAM model is up to date and that it's got the right ingestion of information. Verizon Data Breach, fantastic, right? What a resource, you've mentioned how it's applicable. And then we're also talking as the threat model for my organization changes, and this is something that we do on a continuous basis, that that has also a perspective of control because I may need to augment based on attack capability, and then we see the vulnerabilities come into the system. So there's a change element that may need to be encapsulated or incorporated into my calculation. Uh, and so that's where, where I had the pause earlier is, I know I've got them, but there are other things that I've got to consider in answering that question. Yeah. Does that make sense, Chris? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I think th there, there, there are two, there are a couple levels that come to mind. One is tactical and the other is strategic, yes. right? And, and there's a lot of tactical stuff that feeds into a risk assessment. But that by the time you get the risk assessment readout, you're talking sort of strategically. I'm glad you're both mentioning the community defense model. In IG3, we've got something very, very rich coming out. So not only do we have the various community data feeding a likelihood model, we have the community defense model helping communicate what attack types are from the CDM, which of course is from your collaboration with the uh, with MITRE's attack team. But here's here's the answer you, you you'll still be able to get because remember. So in many of my roles, I've actually I've actually reported to 
boards of directors and, and, and what happens to the with, with the uh, the audit chair of, of the board of directors is they always come in prepared with a question so that they can demonstrate that they're informed and they'd be uh, so uh, it open up the Wall Street Journal tell me what we're doing about Zeus dot bot <laughs> say well okay let me th- now because th- you're right this is the thing that that's come to their attention what are they doing now they're asking about ransomware targeted attacks insider threats right so your community defense model uh, picks five really juicy, really commonly uh, 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 talked about attention-grabbing attack types, right? We've blended those into the risk analysis method for the IG3 CIS RAM risk assessment. So now what you're able to do at the end of your risk assessment, you just did the same exact risk assessment you would have done, right? But now you've got this deeper level of analysis. We can go to executives and they say, how are we doing against ransomware? You'd say, you know what? Our highest risk there is is unacceptable and it's actually high. But if we take care of these three risks, then that gets down to an acceptable level. Like, holy cow, holy cow. <laughs> I'm so excited about IG3 coming out because we're able, we're able to take what the executive thinks of as a tactical question and give them a really good answer without doing any additional analysis work on the risk assessment. It's yeah, that's, that's so the CDM is a great tool. It's really a different um, discussion, as you say, Chris. And, Back in back in the old days, we used to call it uh, "Designed by PC Week." I know that publication is long <laughs> gone, but you know it's like the executives would show up. And Sean, you must have dealt yeah. with this, right? How how come we need one of these? You know, that's, yeah. that's in the headline there, and now it's we're being you know, are we okay against this attack thing you know, that's popped up in yeah. whatever source they happen to be reading? And right. it's it's good to have interest, but you're right; it doesn't it doesn't help you to chase every one of them. It's you know the goal is to recognize that they're not millions of unique things. There's a pattern here and that we can abstract it in a way that gives us much more power. But I think Sean's example is an interesting one. I think um, you reflect well, Chris, also, and we've tried to build into sort of everything we do at CDM, right? There is a mass market need for people to be able to make good decisions about security without developing deep expertise, right? right. It has yes. to be accessible. Exactly. And, exactly. And you want that to be, you know, within reach, right? Most of our economy will never have a cybersecurity professional on staff. That's just not the way the economy works. So how do they get the benefit of this through their service provider, through sort of basic decision making, through the encouragement or discouragement of practices by insurance companies, et cetera, right? That, that, we need that. At the same time, you don't want to, you want to build upon that. So Sean's a CISO for a you know, particularly paranoid security company, right? So, and we have lots more knowledge that is generally not available or specialized about state and locals, for example, that you know, is relevant to us. And so you, don't, you want to not have a separate or parallel security management program. You want to build upon kind of what you already have, right, without much work. But you say, but you know, we, we face special, we in fact do space. Uh, uh, face special risks or have other knowledge or threats we should be concerned about and therefore how do I build that into my security program right in a special way or in a in a way that takes advantage of what I've already done and this is I think in contrast to a lot of the industry right where we treat everyone as a special snowflake and everyone mm-hmm. starts from zero and tries to get up to some magical level and then we try to negotiate things like supply chains it's too late at that point right you're you've each taken a different path you have used different language different methodology and the goal is not everyone's the same or that one size fits all it's that the same approach allows us to to again sort of help the mass market deal with more specialized cases and negotiate things like trust 
across communities within supply chains, et cetera. So, so I really like your example there, Sean. And thanks for letting me, uh, by the way, put you on the spot, Sean and Chris, for this this uh, question and answer thing. But you know, it's uh, it, it brought out several, I think, important points there. Um, Chris, just a, a, one of the things that we both are, have been involved with here lately is what's happening, uh, particularly not only in the, in the legal system, but at the state level, about what's going on in terms of uh, reasonableness, the use of things like CIS RAM. And I know you, you track this carefully and are, we're all active in, in helping, encouraging a better practice there. Any, uh, any highlights here? I know you've got a couple in mind that are, that are uh, breaking news. Yeah, we, we've, yeah, we, we've been very, very encouraging of state and federal regulators uh, to, to adopt this, this word reasonable. And I, I worked with a, a think tank called Sedona Conference that, that, that creates white papers uh, for regulators, litigators, judges, so they understand complex technical things involved with privacy, cybersecurity, or, um, or discovery, electronic discovery. It's a great, great outfit. And what it does... It, it, it takes people who are normally rivals. So you'll have defense attorneys, plaintiffs, regulators, and judges who are usually opposite each other on cases come together to solve these problems together. So they create better rules for how they interact in these fora. And, and, and we've been able to make good connections with people from the Federal Trade Commission or state's attorneys general's office. And, and we came up with a definition for reasonable security that actually uses CISRAM as an example of how you would determine that. But it uses the same logic that we just gave use use safeguards that are no more burdensome than the risk that you pose to others um but but what we've been able to do then is work with these regulators in cases or in guidance uh so that if an organization was breached we can determine was this organization actually negligent and you've seen some state cases now come out where that where a judge has said you know what uh the plaintiff actually didn't demonstrate unreasonableness of cybersecurity controls and here's why uh, the state of Pennsylvania has been uh, really uh, uh, consistent now in, in, in producing court filings for negotiated settlements to put on the public record. This is what we mean by reasonable. And they're using CIS RAM and, and, the, and the, the three principled questions uh, for, for DACRA that feeds CIS RAM as this is the test for reasonableness. Just make sure that you've, you've met these three things. You've, you've, look, you've looked at risk for everyone who could be harmed. Uh, you've made sure that the, the, the safeguards you're putting in place would, would produce a, a result that wouldn't require correction. And, and the third is that your safeguards were no more burdensome than the harm that they're there to, 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 to prevent. So, uh, th so we're, we're seeing states uh, uh, come out more and more. And you saw the Log4j uh, guidance from FTC. They were really light. They're dipping their toe in. There's a good historical reason why they're being careful about this. But they're saying, look, we know Log4j is everywhere. We're just telling you that as you're putting your plan together for addressing Log4j, look at the likelihood of harm to consumers. <laughs> so they're starting to really get very direct, uh, dipping their toe in, testing it out. But um, but we're we're seeing movement at at the at the federal and state regulatory level, which we're very very pleased with. That's our objective: get everyone to agree. Uh, and uh, we we've made good strides, and it has everything to do with that first meeting <laughs> that we yes. had several years ago. Yeah, it's. Um... You know, it does. It does have the feel, Chris, of uh, we're approaching a tipping point here in the in thinking about these issues, right? And you know, your work at, at um, you know your, your sort of day job plus all your volunteer work <laughs> and support for the things that we're doing really, are, I think, are at the heart of it. So thanks for all that that you've done. And uh, yeah, where there's there's a 
good news is there's plenty of test cases every day to try out uh, some of these yeah. ideas. And, uh, right, right. So for those that, you know, I'm going to, um, in the interest of time, I'm going to wrap up the, the conversation here. But, you know, are there any last thoughts? Sean, I'll give you a chance here. Any, any last thoughts that you want to share about this whole business of risk and reasonableness? And again, this is, this is your world and you are, you know, um, dealing with this on such a broad range of issues and doing it at a security company, which I think provides a unique perspective. Anything you want to leave the, the listener with about this, this whole business of uh, how, the influence of, of uh, risk and uh, corporate decision-making? No, I think um, the conversations we've had is uh, we've created a vernacular. We're, we're creating an element of a communication channel that really um, brings in a capability of translation. And that's the key element. It's got to be informed by data informed by threat, as we mentioned. And I can't wait for IG3. Very exciting. Uh, this is going to be phenomenal. And it's really getting to those points where we can communicate effectively and we're making risk-based decisions appropriately across the organization, not because cybersecurity is a technology risk, it's a business risk. And I think Chris has uh, emulated that a number of times during this. And I can't say it uh, uh, more than enough that uh, that's the exact right approach that we should be taking. And there are strides to maturity that we're making here uh, that are long overdue. And uh, I think it, it behooves a lot of uh, organizations to consider what's being done here uh, as an element of maturity and improvement um, to create really this uh, capability of communication uh, and risk awareness. Very important. Yeah, great, great stuff and great points there, Sean. Chris, any closing uh, remarks you have for the uh, audience? Yeah, we've 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 said almost all of it. The, the 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 one thing I would add is that the idea of measuring things in the public interest has become really important. I've been very encouraged to see organizations go toward ESG, the environment, social governance stuff, to demonstrate that they're doing good for their public. And and I see people are having a hard time learning how to measure. The the one thing that 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 I really encourage people to do is pick up that CISRM document and patiently go through the steps because going through it, making the exercise happen, teaches you really interesting things about how you measure something that seems to be intangible, that's actually fairly easy to define as a measure once you go through it. So, uh, and, and you can reveal a lot about how to manage what you can measure when you go through that process. So I, I encourage people to try it. I think it's pretty eye-opening in a lot of ways. Yeah, I think that's great advice, Chris, because it really does, it sort of puts you squarely in this you know translation from sort of technology issues into decision making issues and it you know i'm, I'm un unaware of anything like it in the industry frankly and i think it just is you know uh lends its and, and done in a way that is transparent and accessible right to the public that is it's not a proprietary unique thing so i think it really would be a healthy exercise to help you think through that and it really again chris i can't thank you enough for all your contributions to the community and to your work with cis you know, uh, people have been saying things like, you know, uh, cybersecurity is a business imperative and saying noble things and, you know, rah, rah, kumbaya kind of stuff. But I think a lot of the discussion today, Chris's work, you know, the way Sean interprets it and uses it, is really about the, the machinery that allows that to happen, right? This is not about, you know, exhorting everyone to, to include cyber in their, in their business decision making. You need, you need machinery, right? You need inputs, you need processing, you need outputs. And I think that's what we've been building here over time. So with that, Chris, thanks again for, for joining us and uh, 
sharing your thoughts and your work with the, with the community at large. Uh, for the audience, thank you again for your time and attention. We always appreciate it. Never take it for granted. Uh, subscribe to us in the usual way. Anything you're interested in that was discussed today, you can find at cisecurity.org. And we look forward to talking to you in the next episode. Thank you for listening to the show today. If you are interested in learning more about how to grow your cybersecurity program, the free tools available to help you on your journey, or to get involved with the CIS volunteer community, visit our website at cisecurity.org. Start secure and stay secure.